Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, what corona coverage looks like from the inside. We've all been reading and watching and digesting this massive story and this great tragedy as it unfolds in our country and across the world. And it's raised a lot of questions about how journalists cover it, where their information is coming from and how they process it. But we haven't really had an analysis of all this from somebody who has experienced the disease themselves. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Amanda Dara, who is the producer of The Kicker, who has made everything that we do here possible, and who herself has been struggling with what what she has long thought and has now had a diagnosis of COVID. So, Amanda, welcome. Great to talk to you. Let's just talk first about you getting sick. So when did this start? What happened? What were the symptoms like? What was your sort of odyssey? I greatly regret that I don't think I realized when I was getting sick at first. It was probably as far back as like March 6th or so, uh, which means that I've been sick for about a month now. And I just had some stomach upset. It really wasn't a very big deal. Um, And no one was really talking about that that far back, which is hard to imagine now. And it passed. But then I got a high fever later on that week. And then I felt by, I don't know, day eight, day nine, I was sick enough that I called the Department of Health to ask for a test. And, you know, shortly after that, I felt it go down into my lungs. And it's kind of been there ever since. And what about the people in your family around you? My partner has had sort of followed the same trajectory at first. Um, Apparently, it's much more classic for women to have a a higher fever and for men to have the cough. And that's kind of what we've had here. And then my daughter, who's 11, had kind of bad cold symptoms with a low fever. Both of them are doing much better. My partner, now and then his his symptoms come back a little bit, which I'm hearing is kind of typical of this. And my daughter is much better. That's good. You came into this with none of the classic pre-existing conditions that people usually worry about? None. I I really, I I was worried about my daughter because she has asthma and some related stuff, but I don't have anything. And how old are you? I'm 45. And like, it's, they, you know, I seem to be having this hyper reactive immune response that can turn dangerous for some people. So at what point did you decide I really should get tested to confirm that these symptoms are, in fact, uh, COVID-19? Kind of the beginning of the second week. And now they're talking about the second week being worse than the first. And uh, I was much more out of breath and was not qualifying for any category of testing, the drive throughs anything, because the criteria at that point, at least, were I had to have traveled internationally or I had to have been in close contact with someone who had a, had been diagnosed. Neither of those things were true for me, but it turned out because the CJR offices are in a school, I actually qualified for at-home testing, this weird loophole. Um, and so I signed up for that. I called back the next day to check in because I hadn't heard from a doctor yet, and they just said it would be much longer, and I, I still haven't heard back. You still don't have any test results. I don't. I have a diagnosis, 
my diagnosis reads suspected COVID-19 virus infection. It was a pretty incredible experience to be inside the ER. You know, the way this illness is being depicted didn't match what I saw. Yeah. Let me ask you first, where which where did you go into the ER? So I went to the NYU ER satellite in uh, Cobble Hill. Um, and you went there, did you have to go by yourself? My partner drove me, but there's some concern about different strains still. And so he didn't come in with me. Right. He just dropped me off and I, I went in in a mask. That must have been That must have been terrifying. Yeah, it was. It was scary. You know, I I had no idea what I was going to see. It was actually very calm. I was incredibly impressed. But the people were extremely ill. And and there were people that were young, athletic, coughing up blood. And and I heard them being told they couldn't be tested because they weren't sick enough to be admitted to the hospital. In fact, my ER doctor his wife is in hospital for COVID. He's an ER doctor in a COVID unit, and he can't be tested. Mm. So um, how long were you in the hospital? Probably four or five hours to be assessed. My EKG wasn't great, um, they think, because I've been sick for so long. And my chest x-ray looked like I had pneumonia that was on the mend. I'd been on a pack, And they told me, we're so sorry. There's literally nothing we can do for you. They expressed their frustration to me. And in fact, one of the doctors said, there is no healthcare system. This is a farce. I assume that if you, that you were sort of on the bubble, like if you had been worse, they would have put you in ICU? Yeah, the, the litmus test at least seemed to be my blood oxygen level. And uh-huh. um, that, was, that was okay. And, you know, they waited a while and it was still okay. So I went home. I saw one person being moved to ICU, and he was kind of in and out of consciousness. Um, uh-huh. And I saw them test him. Like, I, I saw him get the COVID test. So I think you have to be really quite ill to to receive it. So when you said um, the situation that you saw in the ER wasn't what's being depicted in the press, uh, what do you mean by that? I guess, you know, the next day I I turned on Governor Cuomo's daily update and for the, I had, I had found them pretty comforting, but I suddenly had this realization that the, the numbers were completely meaningless. And, you know, I'm sure you've noticed, like he, he opens each one with a, a long list of stats, right? Like that's basically the daily update. And then he moves into a little bit of strategy and his own personal thoughts, but I, I I realized that if if I'm this sick and here I am day 28 and I'm home, no one's no one's checked on me, no one's followed up. And you're not even a, you're not even a case. I'm not right? I'm not even a case. I I don't even count. So how many how many people are not being counted? You know, it's disturbing on a number of levels. First of all, so so much of our reporting seems to be around the the numbers and when is the apex coming and where's the next place where the numbers are ascending. We've made that the whole story in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe maybe it's interesting in terms if you if you're looking for scale, but I really think we're missing the point here, which is that there are no tests. There's no there's no baseline for any of this. There's no baseline. There's so many bureaucratic loopholes you can't get through until you have a positive test. 
I mean, for me, you know, two of my doctors at one point really wanted me to go on Plaquenil, which is the anti-malarial drug that has been controversial and, you know, it's used to treat lupus and we obviously need to make sure we have enough of that to treat lupus. It now turns out because of my EKG, I'm not even a candidate for that. Amazon, Amazon workers can't take time off without being uh, penalized. The only loophole for them is if they have a positive test they can't get tested either. So this very small percentage of us are being admitted to hospital and being counted by the powers that be, and it's just missing the entire story. And you think, what, that, that there's just so many more people who have this than we remotely know? I, I think there's so many more people than we know. I think there's a lot of people alone and who are too sick to even get help. Um, because I've had days where I couldn't, you know, roll over and take a sip of water unless my partner was like, come on, you know? Do you think the, uh, I don't know how else to say this other than just the horror of this disease is being conveyed? Do you think most people who watch the news get a sense of how horrific this is? No, I don't. I, I think it's a trauma for all of us, just knowing that it's out there, right? And You've said, you've spoken about the the sound of the sirens and how ever-present they are here in New York right now. They've stopped me from sleeping some nights, you know, but we're mm-hmm. missing something about how scary it is to be sick with it, never mind alone. And I think we're also missing how much work it actually takes to get better. It, mm-hmm. It's not... It's not a normal virus at all. You know, we live with antibiotics and and all this over-the-counter stuff that can kind of at least get rid of our symptoms. This is a thing where I, I tell my friends, like, you, you must be ready for this. Like, please, you know, I say, you know, you must fill your freezer with chicken stock and, and make sure you have humidifiers and inhalers. My cousin is has been a nurse her whole life and made sure I had something called an incentive spirometer, which helps teach you to pull air deep into your lungs. But it, this is something where you have to be very proactive to get better just when doctors are least available because they're dealing with people who are so much more sick. Yeah, I mean, this is one of these areas where, like, I think our the, the people's preoccupation with Trump and how he bungled this and the sort of political fallout took up sort of energy and airtime when when people could have been focused more on some of the things that you're talking about. I mean, I think that's an important thing that we're going to have to reckon with down the road, but I, I do think there's some actionable information that'll, that people just aren't getting enough of right now. There's a piece out in The Atlantic, I think, today about the death rate among younger adults in the southeastern states, but like that needs to be spoken about much more. You know, if you keep telling people that they need to stay home, to protect the elderly, if they don't if they don't live with someone who's older, they're not going to think it applies to them. But the fact of the matter is that people much younger and much healthier can get sick as well. Do you respond with just fury, or compassion, or I guess a mix of all that? But like, how do you when you you know you see this the you see people suffering like you've been suffering? Like how, how do you how do you process it? The thing I worry the most about is the people who are alone yeah. um, or else otherwise uncomfortable uh, challenging authority or repeating a request for help or navigating bureaucracy because of whatever factors make that difficult for them. 
you know, obviously when I see people on Twitter post about being annoyed that they're stuck at home, I, you know, eye roll. The thing that really makes me angry, I think, is I, I see, I see this shift in Cuomo's press conferences where he's including his brother more and more, and his yeah. his brother is is continuing to work through his illness, and it just um, is becoming too much about them instead yeah. of the way it used to be, which was comforting, and efficient and logical. Yeah. No, I, I think it's I think it's totally off, I, and I think there's just it's a shtick. That's right. And it's a little it's a little bit of a buddy reality show, and it's just not appropriate because Cuomo is the guy of all of these leaders right now who seems to have you know his his head most around what's going on and what we need to know. I, I, you you've been trying to get information out of Cuomo's people, right? Yeah, I I actually was feeling better a couple of days ago and spent like two hours on hold with his press office because I wanted to find out if there were any numbers about how many people have been diagnosed, you know, as a suspected case. And it's just impossible to get through, which is totally understandable. But it seems like he's completely unaware. Um, You know, every morning he, he gets on and he talks about how many tests have been given. But, you know, on the ground, that's really not much. Do you think this is going to change how you think about your job as a journalist going forward? Yeah, <laughs> I, I do. Look, data is an easy number, right? But I hope that moving forward, I always ask, where has light not shone here, you know, in this data? Like, what's what's not being talked about? What's the context? Yeah. Amanda, I'm so glad you're feeling better, though. Thank you. It's really good to talk to you. It's great to talk to you, and um, I hope your daughter and your partner keep on their path to recovery. Um, We need you back here um, making this podcast great, because I can't do it by myself. (laughs) Um, Thank you again to Amanda Daroff. You can track all of our COVID coverage on CGR.org at our Covering the Pandemic vertical, as well as on the Media Today, our daily newsletter. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. 